Welcome to the Henslow Innovator Series, where we sit down with the founders and CEOs of some of Australia's most exciting and emerging businesses. I'm Alexis Hancock, and today I'm sitting down with our city and CEO and Managing Director, Kate Quirk. Hi Kate, thanks for joining us today. Based on my understanding of your business, our city certainly seems to have a very unique offering to the healthcare market. Would you be able to give me a bit of background to our city and the products and services you provide? Thanks Alexis, good to join you. So we're a digital health company focused very much on using smart technology to support the transformation of healthcare delivery, particularly through supporting better clinical decision making and more efficient delivery of healthcare. We have a pretty long um, sort of experience in terms of using data in healthcare, digital data obviously, uh, to support better decision making through our platform. In terms of the sort of getting that to market, we're pretty successful in Australia. I wasn't involved in the, the business back then, mm -hmm. but didn't really have beyond the capabilities in engineering, didn't really have the go to market um, capability, the sales delivery, the ability to sort of take that technology to the world. And to be honest, I think the healthcare industry wasn't quite ready for the sort of technology that we were developing. Um, and also data wasn't, much of it was in paper. Fast forward to 2016 when the company became a listed company and the funds that were raised for that were used predominantly for two key strategic things. One, we rebuilt the platform from the ground up with using the latest technology so it was cloud native, using microservices architecture and so it was really modern technology platform which differentiated us from a lot of the legacy products that were being used in healthcare at the time and we also had an acknowledgement that we really needed to grow the business in order to get our technology out to the market and so we looked at M&A as a really active strategy. And so in 2018, and acquired a company I was the CEO of, a privately held company called MKM Health. Mm -hmm. We're about three times the size of Alcidian at the time, really focused on integration of data in healthcare. And we also had a product that we were selling in the UK called Patient Track. So the coming together of those organisations is really who Elcidian is today. And it took us from being able to operate just in Australia to being in Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom and an ability to take the products to market more efficiently and effectively. Certainly seems like a very global business from humble beginnings. Definitely and I, I mean I think that you know nothing happens overnight if you're you know really wanting to be a successful business you know to set your strategy and, and go after it. Mm. So M&A has been a pretty active part of what we've been doing. We are not what I would call necessarily fully global yet that's certainly an aspiration for us we're operating in three key territories um, we have interest in looking beyond those but the UK is a very big market opportunity for us it's obviously a very big market we now have um, a presence in around 28% of the trusts in, in the UK. And there's this kind of like 145 acute care hospital trusts and there's 200 plus trusts. Um, and it's also backed by a very significant investment from the British government, around 2.1 billion over the next three or four years to modernise the NHS through mm. the deployment of digital technology. That's really interesting. So you mentioned the UK market there as being a really key growth corridor for our city and what makes it such a significant opportunity there? Well I think I probably mentioned size so mm. that's you know always an area of interest in the sense of just your ability to capture market share but what we have is a very unique offering and it's very different to what is available or has historically been available in that market and the UK 
Slightly different to Australia, which has invested pretty heavily in US kind of EPR type technology, what we've seen in the UK is a willingness to look at innovative technologies like what Alcidian is doing as a way of bridging or bringing together their existing investments. So what they've set as their strategy aligns really well to what we're doing. Do you have any advice for any Australian companies wanting to enter the UK market? Look, I think um, I probably can only really speak from the perspective of healthcare yeah. predominantly. You need to really understand what your market proposition is and where the market is in terms of its cycle. So you can set up, we set up our business from scratch there, which is sometimes a challenging way. You've got lots of options. You can look at partners. Mm. Someone else will be able to take your software to market who's already got an existing position there. We went direct, so it does take a bit longer when you want to set yourself up and form a new position or brand. Yep. I guess the other option is to look at acquisition. If there is a lined company in that market that your software or whatever your capabilities will bring to that market. So I think you've really got to understand what am I bringing to this market? What is it that are they actually in a buying cycle for that? and then what's going to be my quickest or most efficient approach to market. We um, went direct there, as I said, um, but acquisition equally could have been an opportunity. You mentioned going there directly. What challenges did that bring? Yes, well, there's a cost challenge to start off with. You've got to actually start paying people before you're going to get revenue. Yeah. So how long can you sustain that for? How do you build your brand? Nobody knows you in that market geographical distance. So even today, we find that when we move out of day, we go into daylight saving and they go out of daylight saving, there's a very little crossover time yeah. between your staff over there and here. So, you know, being flexible about how you actually communicate and run the organisation is really important. And I would say you need a trusted person on the ground. So I probably would suggest that you would send someone from your Australian team to actually set that up then rather than hire someone locally who isn't culturally yet mm. embedded in your company. Someone, I guess, that really knows the business. Yes, absolutely. So you do need a very trusted person that's going to start that off. When we originally started, when we were MKM Health, we had five principals who owned the business mm -hmm. and one of them was Scottish and had been living in Australia for a long time and he decided to go back and set that up. So that was ideal for us. We had someone we could trust who knew the market over there. So that's, you know, I would certainly say make sure that you are not employing somebody new to start a business over there that doesn't understand really what you do. Yeah, and I guess it's also a factor of implementing culture. And I guess on the culture point, something sort of similar is diversity. And I think one thing that really makes Alcidian stand out is the strong female leadership. And that's not only in the executive level, but at the board level as well with Rebecca Wilson as chair. Is this something that you're conscious of? I mean, I'm conscious of it because yeah. I get asked about it <laughs> a lot. Did we consciously go about doing that? Mm. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we have a lot of strong females mm. in our business. Now we are a healthcare business, so by the very nature of healthcare being a strong female profession, we ought to be able to attract people into our leadership roles. It's not always the case. If you look at a lot of my peers that maybe are not run by females, they don't necessarily have a strong female leadership team. So I've always actively mentored females as I was actively mentored, not by females to be honest, but my mentors generally were males, but mm. I was in technology. So again, technology is predominantly a male led organisation or, or industry at the moment. So we're seeing a lot of, I think, active effort going into trying to, you know, move towards that. So we, we have got 50% representation on the board of women. We've got 60% representation at the executive team, but only 40% 
in the actual business. Mm -hmm. So we're getting there, but we're still not 50-50. And that's, if you look at our development team, they are largely a male base. So that we are being a little bit more active about how do we get, we've got great diversity. So we've got a lot of diversity of countries and regions and all different views, but I would like to see more females in our technical part of our business. Thanks for those insights, Kate. So Alcidian's been very active in making acquisitions recently. Would you be able to give me a bit of insight into your M&A strategy? Definitely. So we obviously we had the first M&A back in 2018, which was yep. very focused. Coming out of that, I took over as CEO and we looked at what our next kind of three-year strategic path was, mm-hmm. which involved growth. And part of that was to look at M&A and then to define what our strategy around that would be. And we worked with Henslow right from the beginning in terms of creating the criteria that we were looking for and what were the important things to us. To us, it was around potential for, we wanted it focused in the UK mm-hmm. because we wanted to grow our presence there. So then it was about looking at companies that might add capability from a product perspective to our offering, may add um, market share and skills that were important and similar to what we were doing. So using that as a bit of a backdrop, Henslow did a search for us of capable opportunities and we worked together very closely in terms of what we were looking for and what was coming through in that, um, in that research and we whittled it down. Um, and as we identified opportunities, potential companies, Hensley would then go and do further research and further depth into them. So for us, it was really about, we focused it on the territory that we wanted to go after. We knew the sorts of things that we wanted to look for. Mm. And then the next level of criteria comes in around, you know, obviously you're looking at how profitable that organisation is. That they're going We wanted it to be revenue accretive and earnings accretive. So we didn't want, we were already on a growth path and investing ourselves. We didn't necessarily want to be investing in another startup. So it needed to be someone that was fairly established. So obviously you go through the process of looking through the financials and so forth. Looking at the culture of the organisation, Henzo would make the first introduction, but then it was very strong and very important about the relationship that I could create potentially with the CEO on the other side, because that speaks a bit to culture, allows you to understand over the course of getting to know that person, how easily you're going to be able to bring these businesses together mm-hmm. from a culture perspective. Um, you know, we have a checklist of how to bring acquisitions together. We've done quite a few successfully. You can tick the boxes on the IT and the office location and mm. those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, it's how you're going to actually bring these people together from a culture's perspective, I think, that you ascertain through the course of an M&A transaction through the relationship that you can actually develop with the other side. Definitely. Well, at the end of the day, it comes down to people, doesn't it? Yeah. And then on people, when those companies have merged together, have you found any cultural challenges? Oh, definitely. Mm. I mean, of course, even when you've done your homework, no two cultures are going to be the same. Even right back from when Alcidian was a technology-oriented organisation based in Adelaide that joins together with a Sydney-based company that's got people in every other state, we had, you know, culture to work through. And and that was probably a bigger coming together. Uh, Then the, the companies we acquired in the UK, both done during COVID, mm. so no physical meeting, yep. all done via Zoom. And we're actually all coming together for the first time in the UK as one company in June. So that'll be the first time that even the local team have all met each other in, in one place. Mm-hmm. We have very strong cultural values. And so the first presentation I would do to the new staff would be around the values that Alcidian holds dear. Yep. You still can't just instill those immediately though. So we do have a lot of, even though they haven't got together physically, 
They are part of the weekly call out that goes on in the UK. So we have a lot of things that we do to bring those new people into our organisation. We have an employee experience or engagement survey. They're part of that very early on. So we've got a way of tapping into how they're feeling um, through that engagement survey program, which is very, you know, we probably get 90% response rate every three weeks and it can feel like you're doing it all the time, but they know I read every comment that is put into that into that survey program and that there are usually you know responses to that so it's you've got to be active and you've got to have lots of levers and things that will allow you to ensure that they're coming into the organization not just that their email is translated to an LCDN email um, but they feel part of LCDN. Absolutely and COVID obviously had a big impact on healthcare delivery would you be able to give me a bit of insight into that? Oh, obviously there's been massive impacts at many levels, but I think the one that we um, saw early on versus mm. what we're seeing now we've come out of COVID was being like like we all moved to working from home. Yeah. We all, the healthcare industry didn't want patients turning up to hospital in case they had COVID. So they rapidly moved to how do we treat patients outside of the hospital environment? And that was a really interesting shift. We saw virtual care, obviously, where you would actually talk to your GP and your specialist on the phone or mm. by a video. But we were more heavily involved with the hospital sector and how they were going to support patients at home. Yeah. So we used our platform, My Precision, as the engine room for a couple of hospitals in New South Wales. One of them, RPA Virtual, had a um, had already been looking to set up a virtual hospital environment. And so we were able to monitor patients at home with devices that strapped to their arms that took their oxygen saturations and temperature, things that are important for COVID. And that monitoring was actually going on 24-7 for those patients. And we had an algorithm in our platform that identified patients who were deteriorating at home created an alert and the doctors and nurses who were sitting in the command centre would actually reach out to them via video consult. If they then deteriorated further, they could send somebody out to the patient's home, treat them in the home and and leave them there safely. So it's been amazing to see that. Now RPA is rolling that out to other cohorts of patients, diverticulitis, diabetes patients. It's a way of the future in terms of a lot of patients who historically would have been admitted into hospital, moving out of hospital. Mm. I mean, subsequent to that, we now have a problem where we've got a workforce that is overburdened. We have got you know, significant numbers of doctors and nurses leaving the profession and we've got a backlog of patients. So we're actually working, we recently signed up the Alfred group of hospitals and they're using our technology to look at how they can more efficiently mm-hmm. move patients through the hospital. So what's yep. stopping them getting out of ED? What's stopping them getting through? Everyone will have heard of ambulance ramping and the, yep. the sort of stuff that's been going on there. So again, if you can see what's going on in the hospital and understand where the blockers are, mm you can then do something about moving those patients effectively out of the system back into home care. So some really interesting outcomes as a result of COVID. It's mm. certainly fueled the adoption of digital technology in healthcare across the board. And we're very excited to be working with some prestigious hospitals in helping them in their post-COVID environment. That's so interesting. And it certainly seems like it's created a lot of efficiencies in the hospital system in general. So then if we bring everything internal, focusing on our city and In the next 12 to 24 months, where do we see the company going? We're very focused on growth. So Mm -hmm. we've invested a lot in the last couple of years around getting the business to be able to scale. 
So as we rapidly add new customers, we need to have all the systems that support that. So we've done that in the last little while. So I expect now our real focus is on growth through organic growth. We will also look to geographical expansion. So where we go next, we've proven it out in the markets that we are currently in. And then what is the next movement from there? We will continue to evolve the platform. So we're creating new capabilities off the platform all the time. It's modular in nature. So what many people have seen is that our customers might buy three or four modules to start off with, and then they come back and buy more over time. So you will continue not only to see new customers come on board, but I think existing customers expand what they're using from us. That's fantastic. So speaking of growth, how has Senzo been able to partner with our city and, and attain growth objectives? We've worked with Henslow now since uh, probably 2018 when we did the original transformative acquisition. And so it really has been a true partnership over that time. And two key areas I think we work with, we work on the corporate side where uh, the team is advising us in terms of how we work with the investor community, connecting us with future investors, mm-hmm. um, how we present ourselves and, and what we do to that market. And then we have the m side of um, Henso as well. So we have worked very closely with them in terms of all of the capital raises that we've done. So we did one initially from a growth perspective, which was really to fuel the growth. Subsequent capital events have been related to m in particular. Mm-hmm. And then of course, the m team has been actively involved with us in identifying opportunities, analysing what those opportunities are and how we move forward. So it's not a transactional relationship, which some you know, M&A or raise events may be. It's very much been a long-term partnership. We see Henslow as part of an extension of Alcidian mm-hmm. and we look to them for advice and, and ongoing uh, involvement. And so we have regular engagements. They're, they're kind of an extended part of our team. Well, I mean, to the same token, we have absolutely loved working with you and your team and our city and for the last several years now and I'm very excited to see where this partnership takes us. So I just wanted to thank you for your time today. I'm sure everyone out there listening and watching would have really taken a lot of insights away and really learnt more about our city and, and the future of our city. And so thank you. Thanks, Alexis. Pleasure.